The following podcast contains explicit language and other stuff, doesn't it, Maddie? <laughs> and, and really weird voices. Yeah, I don't know why we did that. Uh, we're getting in a little bit early, Maddie and I. Uh, this is recorded after the following podcast, which you're about to listen to. Uh, look, we do get into some saucy stuff occasionally, but we like to keep the language and general content pretty, you know, PC and friendly, so You've it's safe children. for all ears. I've got young children. I'm thinking about parents, you know, so just note that we are talking about an MA-rated film that contains, I won't say full-on, but interesting and not even sex scene, but mm. something. And we, we don't exactly inch our way in. We um... <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Okay, we, look, we're, we're getting back into that territory, but just know that if you're uh, around little ears that you don't want to uh, mm. have listened to, such talk. We're going to talk about an MA-rated film about violence and sex and stuff. Yep. Um, maybe just save it until you earmuffs can listen to kids. this. Yes, earmuffs. Earmuffs, kids. <laughs> Muff. Hot. Get into Geek. This is the movie's crew. We're talking Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Back for this full spoilers chat. I am Mitch. Joining me... Maddie Gibson. I totally forgot about the fingering scene. Hey, we are in spoilers. If you <laughs> hey, if you skip the warnings, the label, the title of the episode, it is your fault. But you're right. We did hint at in our non-spoilers chat of Kingsman, The Golden Circle, which is the movies we're talking about. Hopefully you have seen it, because that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk spoilers. The sex scene, uh, yeah. See, the most oh, controversial was it a joke. Sex scene? Well, it wasn't, but... You just don't want to say fingering scene. I don't. <laughs> I mean, you can... that is why your wife married you, sir, and that is why I'm single. <laughs> but, you know, you can sit around and not that anyone, certainly not anyone I or you would know, would sit around and go, now let's talk about the top five sex scenes in films. That sounds a lot better than going, oh, tell us a good fingering scene. Like, that's just not on, you know? There's an Australian comedian, Josh Thomas, and he made a lot of his bones early on by making jokes about fingering. So yeah, right. I've, I've, I've become dead to it. Just... <laughs> <laughs> well... The first movie I came out of, absolutely loved it. I thought the way that it ended was hilarious. And I'm a big Bond fan, as I said in a non-spoilers chat. So the idea that he saves the world, goes back, sleeps with a woman who, in Kingsman, was a Swedish princess. Yeah. And, like, there's no way he's going to sleep with her. Like, that's just... It would have almost been funnier if she promised him sex, and then he got back, she's like, no, I'm too good for you. You know, like, leaves him hanging out dry, and he's a hooligan, he goes back, he goes, oh, well, you know, Lisa saved the world. No, no, no. She, She promised him that if he saved the world, she would let him... Have anal sex with her, yeah, and then it's like he she, sho- up, she up the bet. <laughs> she she shows back up after blowing up all the bad guys' heads and doing away with Samuel L. Jackson, and she turned around, yeah, and they proceeded to have anal sex, and it's like, okay, well they went there, but that's they promised yeah. they would go there. Well, and to me that was just an exaggeration of the joke. That is the end of every Bond film where he sleeps with a girl. Yeah. You know, 007. Yeah. You know, the like, fact that Q is, is a lot of the time, Q in the old Roger Moore ones anyway, would somehow end up witnessing yeah. Bond have sex the, with a girl the at the, the end. The one that I know is the, is the thermal signature one. Like, that's the where the thermal signature oh, is just start yeah, getting yeah, yep. hotter and hotter and yep. hotter and then together. And I think it might even be Dame Judi Dench. It's like, 007. Yeah. Well, one of the better ones was Roger Moore in uh, Moonraker. Mm-hmm. So, it'd, it'd be in the grand final for the worst Bond because it was around <laughs> Star Wars. They were trying to up their game and they took Bond into space. And there were laser fights with two groups of astronauts. And, gotcha. oh, whatever, excuse me. Um, so, that happened. But the line was, as they're coming back in, he's with a uh, an American agent, and they're traveling back to Earth. And of course, after saving the planet and everyone on it, 
literally this time. It's not just something you say about Bond in every film, but literally saving everyone still on planet Earth. They just decided, well, what else are we going to do? Instead of landing this spacecraft, we're going to have <laughs> sex while in zero gravity. And they start to do that. That doesn't sound like a logistical nightmare. Now, the, the, the two, I think the American boss and uh, M, Bond's boss, are looking at this screen, trying to pull up you know, some footage. It turns on, and there they are floating with a blanket wrapped around them that wasn't you know, um, sure. giving way to non-gravity, but whatever. That's we'll let that thing. go, because it was the 70s and filming techniques. Q's off watching another screen. He can't see what's going on. M says, 007, what are you doing? And you hear Q go, I think he's attempting re-entry, sir. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> So they up it in Kingsman, and wow. you've got Mark Strong, who can play a very sinister... I probably shouldn't have brought up Sinestro, but whatever. He can play a very bad villain uh, in uh, in movies. And here he is as this lovable tech guy. He's watching through like a lapel pin camera what's about to happen, and then you know shuts his computer or whatever happens. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, he closes. He closes it's on, he's on the jet, and he That's closes right. the That's right, closes monitors. the door so he doesn't watch what's going yeah. on. That was a really controversial joke when I walked out of that cinema. People couldn't believe they actually went that far. And I'm like, hey, come on. Everything else you saw in that film, and that was too far? Well, really? what I was quite surprised with is it was actually on free-to-air television um, only a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. And I just, I, I was so curious and... You know, because I didn't want to see that shot again. I definitely didn't. <laughs> I tuned in towards the end of the film because I thought, no, for free to wear television, I don't care what time of day they play that, they're cutting that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you, you don't need that in the film. Yeah. But they kept it. They kept it in the free to wear version. Yeah, right. Like, Channel Seven. Like I was quite surprised because yeah, I thought for sure that that would um that yeah. would get cut. That would get cut. Well, okay, let's talk. I mean, you know, everyone who's listening has hopefully seen it. I I wasn't sitting there wondering what they were going to do to top that scene by any means, but. This is one of the moments that I hinted at in our non-spoilers where everything that I loved about the first one was in this movie, but more of it, and sometimes that worked, other times it didn't. And this is one of the moments where I think it didn't. It just went that little bit too far where he's talking to old mate Oberon Martell and says, we need to put a tracking device, and he pulls out what looks like a really tiny condom, and he's like, oh, no, this mm. is how we get our tracking devices into people, and we need to go into some membrane. Oh, up, up the nose. And he's like, no, sir. You know, it's got to go on somewhere else. And you're like, oh, really? Yeah. I know that's... he's going to see a woman and he's got to put a tracking device. On. Are we get? Oh, okay, whatever. I, I can tell it's obviously not big enough to be put on as a condom. Is that what we're going to... Okay, whatever. I'm yeah, sure, I'm, as, I'll let the scene play out. As long as you can buy into the fact that this secret service agency would develop a, a tracking system that can yes. GPS track you and listen in to you and it has like microphone and all that sort of stuff. The only way it can do is be inserted inside you yeah. via a finger condom. If yeah. you can accept that fact, that scene is hilarious. Yeah. Oh, I, but it is definitely, I think for certain people, that would be a bridge too far. And see, I'm, I, I, I'm not afraid of crudeness. I, I love it. Give it give it to me, really. Um, but mm. that I, I think I was just waiting to see where the scene went. I was like, oh, you didn't, it didn't need to be like that, but okay, let's go. Mm. And then that moment where he you know, slips it on his finger and the camera is ever so close to his finger as it runs down her stomach and then yeah. you get to the top lining of her underwear and I'm like, okay, and cut. Okay, fingers going to the... And I'm like, okay, and yeah. cut. And then it's like, no, his hands are like fully on the business. Yeah. Okay, and cut. And then you sort of see his hand, you know, sort of tilt in a little bit and cut. And then, no, the camera doesn't cut. No. It zooms in and, and we essentially to, go... Look, look who's talking. Inside 
a woman's reproductive system. It's, it's the opening scene of Look Who's Talking <laughs> with the sperm yeah. and the egg. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, okay. And then you see, you know, the, the device attached to the the inner walls of her body. Mm. I'm really trying to think of PC ways to say this. <laughs> I don't know. And then all of a sudden, Halle Berry and Mark Strong are looking at a monitor going, beep, beep, beep. And they're like, okay, exit, you know, we can see it. And I'm like, we couldn't have just skipped to this. Yeah. But okay, whatever. Like that. That's... Well, the thing, the thing that brought it back for me, and believe we spoke about this in the non-spoilers. I was looking over to the mother and ten-year-old boy that was sitting two seats <laughs> yeah. to my left just to see whether she was covering his eyes or not. But I feel like it got to a certain point, and it, and this is quite funny. Is Kingsman in general, I think, does a really good way of blending CG and live action that you really don't know what's what, mm. and it's so it's done so well to to exaggerate the fantastical. But I was like, there, you got to a certain point as the camera started panning down her body that I feel that you you could tell it was a computer-generated body mm. or at least a, a computer-augmented body yeah, in, yeah, in yeah. a lot of ways. And to me, that's what took me out of it and put me into the laughing aspect of yeah, it rather, fair than, enough. The, yeah, rather yeah. than the, oh my God, I can't believe we just saw him insert a digit <laughs> aspect of it, given that you can see the little blinking light on the tip of his finger. Like... Okay, can I just point out, this is the moment of the podcast, if I didn't already, where I've just realised we might need to put some kind of disclaimer at the start of this podcast, because... That little, we, ex- that little explicit thing on iTunes, we're definitely going to need that. Yeah, because we generally keep expletive free. You know, we, mm. we, we bleep out or cut, you know, any F or C bombs and things like that. We try to keep our content pretty, pretty, pretty clean. Um, Try to. I don't care. I want to talk about Kingsman in its full, but uh, yeah. this is at the moment where you have yeah. already heard try, uh, try, you know, 10 minutes ago. Try and beep out, insert a digit. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not doing it. It's <laughs> too much fun to leave out, Maddie. So you talk about a mother with her 10-year-old son. I was sitting very close to uh, you know the front row of the main section of the cinema, so everyone leaving is walking past me. And I hear this, what seemed to be like an, I won't say elderly, but she would have been nudging 70. Uh, years old woman walking down the stairs behind me. I hear this. I just wish they wouldn't swear so much. <laughs> then it would have been good. And I'm like, that was your f-ing problem. Yeah. They swore too much. Not about the guy sticking a tracking device up that that woman yeah. and the decapitations yeah. and everything else that went on in that film. Well, I, I just spoke about it in the um, in the non spoilers. How much I really enjoy the tonal shifts in this film, the way they can play all these different tones really, really well. Mm. And that's what I found about this, because it was that classic, oh, Spy has to seduce the beautiful woman scene that has no point to the plot and is never seen or heard from again. Mm. But the girl was actually quite... They brought her back enough that it really... It added a lot to the film. Mm. You know, uh, she had to come back a couple of times. She was the adversary's, you know, number one body man's girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was able to play on that with the final battle with him that gave enough to it, which I actually really, really enjoyed. And then just touching on what we're talking about, you know, the the, the scene with the Swedish princess from the first film, Mm. I never expected to see her again. God, no. Given that it was the play on the Bond things where no, I don't think any Bond female has ever, like Bond girl has ever come back for a second film. Has she? Has anyone ever? You know what, actually... Strangely, if it's a if it's a take on Bond, the very first Bond girl, I mean, there were at least two, maybe three in that first film. She did come back. The ah. very first girl you ever saw talk to Bond, and he seduced, and he took up to his room, Sylvia Trench. We're introduced to her before we even see Sean Connery's face in Doctor No. Come the start of From Russia with Love, the second film, 
they're out on like a picnic or something and she's like, I haven't seen you in months, you know, and then he has to go off on another mission where she's never heard of again. Very few Bond girls ever, ever return. A lot of them die along the way, but they never return. They sail off into the sunset. They're going to live happily ever after until two years later when a new movie comes out. Now, okay, just on that though, is this spoilers? And again, tap out if you haven't watched the movie because we're talking spoilers. They get married at the end, he and the princess. Yeah. Now, when they get married, my first thought was, oh, is she going to die? Because James Bond, in the sixth film, on Her Majesty's Secret Service, he actually got married at the end of the film. Five minutes later, they have driven off, wedding bells in a cans off the back of the car or whatever. The main bad guy, Blofeld, the guy that Dr. Evil's ripped off, drives past, and he has one of his people like machine gun the shit out of the car, and she dies. On their wedding day, end of the film done like that's that's it and it was a really sad ending to a film where you're actually watching a a womanizer like actually fall in love with someone Mm. so i'm wondering whether they go that far with their um ripoff on james bond because it was refreshing even if you don't go into this thinking oh this is a james bond ripoff just the fact that this younger guy was going out with this older woman he was a hooligan she was a princess he's got this really important job that takes him away from her and she's too good for him in some aspects and there's trouble in their relationship blah 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 it's like it just it seemed weird that they did have a relationship in this film so the fact that they then got married that changes things a lot for for Eggsy in Kingsman 3 but seeing how they had no problem killing off a lot of people that were important to that character even if the audience didn't know them in uh, in this film yeah I wonder if she dies yeah I just I honestly, I thought she was just a joke for the first film. So mm. I was really surprised and pleasantly surprised to see, you know, her back and Eggsy in a relationship and, yep. and all that sort of gear. And they even do a callback to her bet she made with him that <laughs> sees through the end of the film. Which, maybe, now, was there an end credit scene? I didn't stay to the end of the credits. I thought it might have been I a callback did? to that joke because we never actually got a resolution to that. And the, the, the whole film was so good at setting up a callback and having resolution to it, setting up a callback, having resolution to, you know, all those sort of things. And so the one loose thread is that she bought up, you know, her what seems to be her standard reward for when he <laughs> saves the world. Um, and I thought for sure that might actually come back either at the end of the film, so that in the film the same way, or it'd be a like a post credits, or even with Elton John and Harry, because <laughs> Elton John kind it was like he said, "Oh, if I save the world, can I have two tickets to your next concert?" Mm. And he's like. Is oh darling, if you save the world, you can have a backstage pass, you and can it's let like that mean anything on. you like. A movie ego at this point in the film, we were talking pure anal sex between <laughs> two characters. So uh, who knows? Uh, I, they didn't have one in the end, though. I stayed, but uh, no, no, no post credits uh, sequence for this one. But what I, I really did like about this film, because of Matthew Vaughn sticking around, is his style with this content. Like remembering the first bit, it was just such a cool film so overly stylized the way that he shoots action what music he puts with it you know which we've obviously had a lot of fun with with the you know the likes of guardians and things like that you know even even deadpool you know sort of matching these weird songs with these you know big tense action sequences and that's how this film started straight away bang we're we're into it right really that car chase scene was phenomenal it was so much fun wasn't it like phenomenal i sat there thinking about the four people in my screening that hadn't seen 
the first Kingsman. I'm like, <laughs> this is where you find out what you're in for. It's far-fetched. You know, there's a guy with a robot hand. There's really weird gadgets. You know, all of a sudden the car goes, you know, underwater and becomes a submarine into a secret base under London and all this shit. See, now you I know. love that. I know you probably hated that because isn't that something, no, that, isn't not that, something that Bond villains, uh, Bond villains, Bond fans hate? Is that Lotus that turned into a submarine or something? Oh, I don't know. I, see, see Dan, I love that. That's... If Daniel Craig had that right now, I'd be like, oh, geez, you need to sell that to me. The fact that it was a Lotus with Roger Moore, that doesn't faze me because that's just all of all of that era of Bond is just so wonderfully campy. I would be upset if they didn't have something so ridiculous. And the fact that this is a piss take on Bond, mm. I would be upset if it didn't involve something like that. Like the fact that he pressed the button and the wheels come off and they turn into more like Formula One and racing was, wheels. And then it was like know? he was driving a Mini Cooper and we were watching um, the Italian job. Yeah. Like as in that part. See, where I was going to have had enough is if the car would start flying. I'd be like, I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah, need yeah. that. But the fact that it just turned into like a racing car, great. And then when it gets shot to shit, turns into a submarine. I'm like, that's fine with yeah. me. That's perfect. When it did that massive um, drift sort of through the traffic in oh London. Oh my God, like, that shot was amazing. It just amazing. kept going too. It's like he, fa- he, you know, he, he, he drifted through like three lanes of traffic and I thought, oh, okay, and then he's going to take off. He just kept no. going and kept going and did like a full 180 yeah. um, around this drift. And I was just like, what? That was the first moment of the film where once that shot finished, I realized I was smiling so widely. I'm like, I yeah. am having so much fun already. This movie's only a couple of minutes old. Even when he took off with that car, like he just started burning the wheels and then just jigging the steering wheel a little bit and started moving yeah. sideways to get away from the three bad guys. I'm like, this is cool, man. Like, it's just such a cool, fun film. And it screams that it should just be a boys' film, but I work with so many girls that went and saw this last night, girls that have seen the first one, love the first one, really enjoy, really look forward to the second one, or did see it last night and loved it. I'm really glad to hear that because that was one of the concerns I had as I'm watching it is they, they made such strides in the first film to include Lancelot. Um, and obviously, spoiler, is she is is killed in this film. Yeah, for, that for all bummed me out, purposes, man. Which I was really disappointed with because I was like, well, we need to have more... If they're gonna if they're gonna play on the genre, we'll give us some female bonds. I would have loved to have seen her having to do the you know the um, seducing of a of a male intelligence person yeah, or yeah, something yeah. like that, and and you know playing that around. And then so they killed her. I was like, oh, that's really disappointing. And then Halle Berry shows up, and I'm like, oh great, she's gonna be the American <laughs> version. It's she's gonna be making fun of her own character that she played in a Bond film yeah. when she was a Bond girl. They were gonna try and um, spin her off. And then she was kind of just like the the Merlin character. She was the the non uh, the non field agent. Yeah, she was yeah, the back yeah. and I was like, oh. And it was so it was all male field agents and and you know fingering chicks and and all this sort of stuff. And I was like, oh, is this is this too blokey mm. of a film? Is that there, scene? That's what I think. That's what I actually did worry it a, about. A lads in, film, you know, the, to quote Exy. The insertion of the tracking device scene. I'm like, oh man, this is. I mean, it's co-written by a woman, Jane Goldman, who works with Matthew Vaughn. They wrote Kick-Ass together. I mean, I think they went as far back doing Layer Cake together. They've been working together for a long time and will continue to do so. I think she even uh, did First Class with him or something. Like, they've been working together. So I don't mind those scenes so much when I think about the fact that a woman wrote it. Because yeah. I don't have to worry about it. It's, it's a bloke writing a blokey scene, and oh, well, if chicks come in and watch it and they don't like it, then bugger them because this is just for guys. But I, I was actually really disappointed when they did kill off Roxy because what I really liked in the first film is that, like she's a she's a beautiful girl. Whoever plays uh, what so what's her um, Lancelot, uh, Lancelot did you say? is a code is name, a code yeah. name. Whoever plays her like gorgeous girl, but so in any other film. 
she would have been the love interest, that he sort of toys with the whole film and eventually she realises she loves him. That wasn't the case. They were no, best mates. She was... She was his paramour. They were they were equals. Yeah. They were there were two two mates going through the same process and developed a bond through it. Um, they did hint it there was perhaps a crush going one way or the other, something mm. like that during the film. But then they it, it wasn't a thing. No. And I really appreciate that was a really fresh take. Yeah, when they're when they're taking the piss on so many sort of cliches and tropes um, in in spy films, I really appreciated that. So to to lose her was really kind of devastating. All, all that work they'd done setting her up like that. Amplified in this movie by her helping him to impress the parents of his girlfriend. Yeah, which you is know? something your best mate does. Absolutely. He's, you know, she was his wingman. Yeah. Yeah, so it was, it was really disappointing to, to, to lose all that, all that groundwork that they'd made. Yeah, I think so too. And she would have been an interesting one if they were going to investigate spin-offs. Oh. The, the king, the the only king's woman, you know, or something like. She yeah. would have been a fun character to, to and you know, anyone listening might go, oh, you can't just give spin-offs to everybody, and they and they won't be able to. And maybe her as a character, what we've seen so far, they wouldn't just go, okay, here's seventy five million dollars, make a spin-off on on Roxy. But still, I would have liked to have seen the franchise do more with her. And talking about other deaths too, while. It was a nice throwback to the way that the first Kingsman started with uh, Merlin's background. As soon as he got on that mine, I realized he was going to die. I'm like, I don't want you to, you, I don't want no. you to die, man. I was like, oh, geez, all these gadgets they have, and he he fakes the gadgets. So he yeah. think, oh no, he's going to be fine, and then no, he makes a sacrifice play, and I was like, oh, and I didn't see it coming. I, looking back on it, it was kind of telegraphed, and that he, you know, there was those. Um, there was that scene he had with Halle Berry talking about, you know, she was like, oh, do you ever want to be, you know, out there with mm. them as one of them? And he, you know, he's something and arguing about it. You know, he has that moment where he struts out in the plane and he's in the suit and he yeah. sees one of the Kingsmen and he's going to be, you know, a field agent. And I didn't get that foreshadowing that it was going to be a sacrifice play. Well, I thought they were going to go the other way where this timid bloke who's so used to sitting behind a desk and watching other people do amazing feats in the field that he was just going to turn around and just go full ape shit and just start wrecking shop. Especially more when he, than Colin Firth, more than Exy. Especially when he picked up that big knife and yeah, he's yeah. like, "This is for me." I'm like, yeah. "Oh, he's going to go batshit. He's going to yeah. go ape shit and just be just a killing machine." And maybe that would, I mean, maybe that is supposed to make me feel even sadder about his death was that he just didn't get to get back in the field properly. Mm. But that didn't mean anything to me. It's just his character who he had been in the movie and a half that we got to know him. Mm. I, I wanted him to stick around. Like the fact that he was the only one left alive along with Eggsy, that made sense to me. It's like, I do need those yeah, two guys. Yeah, that meant something. He was a touchstone. I mean, knowing Harry was coming back, of course, but mm. while Harry wasn't there, you need Merlin as the yin to Eggsy's yang. Yeah, you know? yeah. There has to there has to be that that touchstone and that, that emotional resonance there. Because, mm. um, yeah, because obviously, you know, for all intents and purposes, when we all saw the first film, it was, oh... Harry's dead, you know. Yeah. Uh, Galahad's dead, and and Exy takes over the the moniker of Galahad, and, and and that was one little resolution we didn't get is by the end of this film they're both still technically um, using the the code name Galahad. Mm. Yeah, I almost would have preferred, you know, uh, he became the new who was um. Hell, he could have been Lancelot. I mean, not that, that he should keep. Well, no, a trend he was of... um Dumbledore. What was Dumbledore's code name? I don't remember. Was he Arthur? I can't as, as in King Arthur. But was what? that the head? See, I was disappointed too. We got to see Michael Gamden for like eight seconds in that film. At least Michael Caine, he was a bad guy, so you kill him off. He served his purpose throughout the film. He'd been in it for 75%. Mm. Gamden gets like a scene and then a, oh, bollocks, you know, or whatever he says when he sees the missile. Like, 
why cast Gamden in that role? Like, why get a guy so big in, in, in British acting? I mean, maybe because maybe if I was British, like, you know, Matthew Vaughan and making a film about British people, that's the idea is you shove in a recognizable face just to, just to put him in, just to have that kind of class yeah. in your film. But for I'm me, I'm like, off, yeah, you know? yeah, it just seems a little bit, little bit strange, but anyway, yeah. like, but I mean, and that was the other thing is, is I was like, well, geez, if, if they can buy back Colin Firth getting uh, a bullet to the, to the brain pan at mm. point blank range and actually legitimately buy it back. Like I was like, Oh, okay. All right. All that tech makes sense. You know, as soon as Halle Berry said um, nanites, I was like, oh, okay, nanites, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, like, oh, that's man, fine. Once we get them for real, they're going to solve everything. Yeah. But, that, okay, that's the thing. So, Roxy dies, Merlin dies, all the other Kingsmen, blah, 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 blah. Mm. But do those deaths still mean something, even though we've seen two other characters brought back to life in this film alone? I mean, Harry... We saw the process. He was obviously alive already when this film started. Mm. But then we see uh, Whiskey, Agent Whiskey from The Statesman, shot point blank in the head. And they go, oh, God damn it. Why'd you do that? Let me put the gel on his face. It's like, how is it so okay for you? I know you've been explaining the process, but you're like, oh, yeah, shot in the head doesn't mean anything. Now, obviously, we saw his scar was like to the side of his head. So it wasn't point blank, you know, straight in the brain or anything. But Harry's was. And that shit meant a lot in that first movie. Like when they Mm. killed him... Samuel L. Jackson doing a very unbond villain thing by looking at the good guy and going, oh, what's up? Bang, you're dead. Not sort of monologuing mm. to him and then carrying it on and then him escaping, coming back, getting help and and uh, go on to, to stop the bad guy. Just point blank die. Eggsy has to stand up and become the man that Colin Firth was. Then they announced they're bringing him back and there's three questions. Is he the same guy? Well, probably four. Is he a... A robot? Is he a clone? Is he a twin brother? Mm. Where, where are they going to go? Then we see shots where he's got an eye patch. It's like, well, it's, of course it's got to be him then, because that's where he got shot. So, were you okay overall then to see him back? And do deaths still mean mm. everything in this franchise when we know that they can bring people back? From well, you've got to remember they brought back Charlie's death as well. We assumed he died in the first film. Yeah, yeah, that's and true. And like, oh no, he just lost an arm because that taser thing fried his chip. So they've brought back those. So I think if we went back now and watched the first one, you know, obviously the the Colin Firth death scene wouldn't have as much resonance. Yeah. Um, to me, that was actually the weakest part of the first film was the church scene where he's just indiscriminately killing everybody under you know um, under the spell of of Samuel L. Jackson's device. Mm. To me, that was, and when we talked about this earlier, or it might have been in the in the non-spoilers, is I'm not a fan of the indiscriminate killing and gore for no reason. Mm. And I remember watching it going, oh God, why am I sitting here watching this three-minute, arguably, you know, quite impressively shot scene of, of Colin Firth taking out all these, um, these churchgoers? But it's like, well, what is this adding to the plot? So yeah, going back, I don't, I don't think that his death would have as much resonance. And yeah, so now it does make me think that well, potentially we may end up seeing Merlin or Lancelot or um, Dumbledore, mm. <laughs> whatever his uh, call sign was. We may potentially see them come back in another film. They yeah. might be able to buy back. In the same way, in this flashback, we saw Tequila and Ginger Ale come and, and rescue Colin Firth at, like as an addendum was what we didn't see during the first film. Yeah, You could quite easily, you know, maybe Lancelot, you know, jumped into a quick little, you know, tube or something yeah, to yeah, yeah. save herself but she was buried there for the week it took the rest of this film to take place or whatever however long it took place over 
And right now, as we speak, she's digging her way out, mm. you know, and ready for... I think Merlin would be a little bit harder. Yeah. Um, <laughs> He's in several pieces. Because we did kind of see the explosion. Yeah. <laughs> and yes, while we saw, you know, the, um, the explosion of her... But we did see her sort of reacting to the missile and jumping. Um, yes, his best mate and his dog copped it in... Um, mm, in his apartment. In his apartment. But it's like, well, they're not... They weren't trained the way... Roxy was. Yeah. So it's to me, if Roxy showed up in she could pull a um Michelle Rodriguez from Fast and Furious and <laughs> come back in two movies time as a villain that's been brainwashed yeah. or something like that. I could totally buy that. Yeah. Totally. Because I really would like to see more of her character. Yeah, I I mean I hope they don't just to sort of give it a lot of weight and, and you know, don't go full comic book and especially comic book movie where we're gonna mm. kill everyone just to bring them back and it mean nothing. Oh. But I, I I agree. I wish they would just so I can see more of them, but just just talking on comic book moments, there was actually that flashback moment where we see Halle Berry and Channing Tatum coming out of the helicopter. There's that little part inside me that went, "It's Storm and Gambit, <laughs> it's Storm and Gambit." Yes, here we go. You know, there was just that little yeah. bit of me that was just like super pumped yeah. to see that. Can we talk about though, and what I think was probably the the weakest point for the film for me, and not the performance but just the the writing for it was Poppy, uh, mm. Julianne Moore. She nailed that. She did so, so well with that, but I don't think she was as well of a fleshed-out villain mm. as Samuel L. Jackson's character was. Yeah, I, I don't think so either. I think especially the first half, whenever Poppy came on screen, I'm like, oh, man, she's having so much fun as an actress, mm. and it's a villain that knows she's smarter than everybody, richer than everyone, got way more resources than everybody. Like, her plan will work, basically, is mm. is what she knows. Obviously, that doesn't happen, but that's where she's coming from, and, and you know, she's got such control over everybody, everybody. And then even when they started to hint, once she revealed herself to the world, and she had people come out and go, oh, yeah, like her old, you know, professors and things, and saying... Oh, she, you know, she started to show, you know, uh, signs of signs of being like such. a pathological liar and a sociopath and all that sort of stuff. I'm like, okay, maybe explore that a little bit more in the back half. But I found in the back half, she was just much the same as what she was in the first half. Whereas Samuel L. Jackson, while I never quite got past the lisp the entire first film, <laughs> I a yeah, brave choice. black or white. Okay, that was probably the wrong <laughs> phrase when I'm talking about Samuel Jackson compared to Julianne Moore. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I I prefer him uh, between mm. the two villains. But she had so much more... She was so much more theatrical. You yeah, know, she's the, got a the, secret base and the Dunkin' Donuts and oh, a bowling see, alley. And, that was brilliant. The first half establishing her, you know, in the middle of this, look what looked like a dormant volcano. And then inside <laughs> that dormant volcano is ruins. Yeah. And then inside those ruins is like a 50s diner and a laundromat and a beauty parlor. I loved all that and, you know, the bizarre putting the guy in the meat grinder and then serving up the burger and it's <laughs> like, well, he's been gone long enough where it's like, is she playing him out? Did she really make a, a burger from that guy or is that actually just beef or whatever and she's she's testing this new guy, Angel? Yeah. I loved all that. That yeah, was yeah, brilliant. Yeah. It was so sort of multi-layered. And then later on when she killed Angel, I was like, oh, why did we go through all that yeah. then just to kill I was like oh that was a bit of a waste opportunity there yeah. there was she no never, she never gave him the rules to say don't don't touch the merchandise yeah there was no middle scene it was like mm. obey me okay I will always obey you and the next scene it was like hey you didn't obey me I'm like oh well, what did did you run through the rules with him was yeah. there you know what happened there 
Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, just that back half of her just left me wanting a little bit. Yeah. I kind of liked, as ridiculous as it is, but we're talking about a film where this ridiculous nature mm. is the setting. Yeah. I, I actually kind of liked her plan. Like she's got drugs everywhere. She's, you know, got hundreds of billions of dollars. Yeah. And I guess the mental side of her, which said, she said, I should be the most famous person in the world. I've got one of the most successful businesses in the yeah. world. No one knows who I am. You know, I'm, I'm a woman. I should be the most famous, at least you uh, should be female. Number one on the Forbes, you know, yeah. top 100 most rich people in the world. And yeah, and then that side, but then also to have the world governments legalise the drug trade so that she could have a legitimate business and then she would be famous. You know, she did want mm. this recognition. I'm like, yeah, okay, you're a psycho. And, and if you've got these tendencies that you've had for 30, 40 years, you know, since you were in junior school to mm. through college and, and things. And I, it's believable I'm given that. that, you know, there's there's so much, especially in the United States, like LA and places like that, where cannabis has been legalized, mm. you know? So it's like, it's it's not a huge, you know, jump. You know, it's, it's like with the old Bond films where it was like, oh, he was a rogue Russian such and such, and yep. now he's got nukes or whatever. Yeah. Well, it's like, well... Back when that was an issue, that could have happened. And it's like, well, now you when you've got big businesses doing, you know, doing dirty trade and stuff like that, and then combine that with, you know, legalizing illicit drugs yeah. and combine that with a psychopath, it's like, well, that's that's that whole premise is totally viable. Yeah. And really the, frightening when she says, like, oh, not everyone's going to be affected, only people that take drugs. And then you see how many yeah. hundreds of thousands, millions of people were immediately like, I've got three, four days yeah. to live. And you think about it and you're like, well, yeah, like I don't do drugs. I don't think that you do as much as I know about you. You know, my brother doesn't, my wife doesn't, but I know a lot of other people that at least smoke some pot. You know, back in the day, yeah. you know, music festivals have engaged in much more hardcore sort of stuff, you know. There's a lot of people out there that would be affected by this. Like, this is a pretty earth-changing plan. Now, yeah. I know the same was the deal with uh, with Kingsman 1. Like, Samuel L. Jackson was going to be killing a lot yeah. of people. And again, that was Bible because everyone's got a phone. Yeah. The tech side of the Samuel L. Jackson side of it made the magic cure at the end much easier to buy. Mm. What I found hard in this one is, oh, yeah, she totally intended to give everybody the cure mm. and it's all ready to go by, like, Amazon Prime um, <laughs> drones, drones yeah. ready to hand deliver it at the push of a button. Yeah. I was like... Oh, is she really that evil then? It's okay for these kind of films to have the countdown clock. Yeah. It's like we have to stop it, you know, with three seconds to go. I get that. And they did that, but then there was another button to undo everything. Yeah. It, it had to be done because mm. obviously they, they infected all these people and people were on the brink of, of dying. I get that. But yeah, it was just a bit too convenient. Mm. And mm. I mean, as we are saying, the whole movie is quite, you know, fantastical. I don't know, that one just... Not that I didn't buy it, it just didn't sit quite right with me given how tonally spot on the rest of everything else was. Now, before I go on to the other side of the villain chat that I want to do, the other thing that I think really took me out of the movie early on, Robot mm. Dogs. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't um, need Robot Benny, Dogs. Benny and Jet. Yeah. <laughs> okay, look, that's fun. That part <laughs> of it is fun, let's be honest. But Well, I feel like there needed to be three dogs and there had to be Benny and the Jets. Yeah. That's what it needed to be. <laughs> that would, yeah. But... When old mate tried to run away at the start and she, and you hear the dogs growling and I'm like, oh, there we go. She's going to, no, what, the robot dogs? Okay, sure. I was like, oh, and then I saw the Cylon eye and then I laughed. Yeah. That's, <laughs> so, uh, if they didn't yeah. have the Cylon eyes, I don't think I would have bought it as much. But as soon as I saw the Cylon eyes, I was like, okay, I get the joke. I mean. Well, it was strange. She said, I don't trust humans. That's why I have so many robots. I'm like, you've got like a hairdresser robot. 
and two dogs, but and then you've got it. a shit ton of human henchmen. Yeah. And even if you only trust cyborgs and not men, then do the dogs come in that category too? Like you can't trust a real Rottweiler. You have to build yeah. a robot and dog. And if you think about it, it's not just the people in her little dormant volcano. There was when we're in... Oh my God, yeah. Wherever Italy. we were in Italy in the, yeah. in the big you know ski shack. It's like, well, there weren't any robots in there. Yeah. So yeah, and that's what I mean about Julianne Moore's performance. I loved and mm. I love her as an actress and I loved everything she did, but I just feel like the writing for her character is what let that that down yeah. for me. Yeah. yeah, so that was just another element, I think, for me, where it was the ridiculous nature of the first movie amplified mm. to a point where I don't think it served the movie beneficially anyway. But, you well, know, it's an I'd inconsistency. accept it, whatever. It's an inconsistency yeah. to the character. Yeah. Is if she had a bunch more... If, if we found out all of those henchmen all had robot bits and pieces like Charlie did, yeah. well, then that's fine, you know, because it's following through on, on the premise. But yeah. it's like, well, she had the, the saloon robot and the two dogs, and that was it. And mm. it's like, well, no, we need more than that. And Charlie had the one arm, but mm. it's like, well, no, we, we need more than that. More than an arm, too. Now, <laughs> the other side of the villain chart isn't really about him being a villain, but mm. he was in the middle. Was Pablo Pascal, Oberon Martel, oh, yeah. Agent Whiskey from the I'm, Statesman. I'm glad you said Oberon Martel. That Thank was you. Gonna, that's the only way I was going to guess that name. <laughs> that... He wasn't part of Poppy's crew, but he also wanted her plan to go through because a junkie was responsible for the death of his high school sweetheart who was mm. you know, pregnant with, with his baby you know, 20 years ago. I, I liked the idea that as mentally unstable as what Harry was when he come back seeing Butterflies, you knew from seeing the first movie, he shot Martell whiskey for a good reason he knew what he was doing mm. he didn't share that with Eggsy which was starting to piss me off after a while it's like yeah. tell him what you've seen you it's know it's that classic era of conflict because no communication and they had plenty of time where it was just one on one and I'm like and he mm. was angry at him one on one explain to him your choice you know even if you are a gentleman a gentleman never shares <laughs> still tell him why that yeah. was a good idea as part of his training right they trust each other implicitly yeah you know? so I liked that I liked him coming back and there was a touching moment where you had Halle Berry's character tell Merlin every time I've wanted to go for an on-field job whiskey shuts me down and then when mm. Halle Berry holds out that photo of his high school sweetheart. You realize they look they look very similar. So he obviously sees. Oh, I didn't get that. Well, so that's what I got out of it anyway. Was oh. that he sees his former sweetheart in Halle Berry somewhere? It just reminds him, so he doesn't want to put her in harm's way. That's what I took out from it. That might be too cliche. Uh, Maybe no, that's that, not the case. That makes more sense because that was the one of the thing issues I had is is I felt Whiskey was a bit of a letdown in terms of I would have preferred... I actually would have preferred if he was a double agent. Mm. I think that would have been more in keeping with the genre. And with the first film that Michael Caine was you know, in yeah. on that. Right. Yeah. And, you know, given that the Kingsman and the Statesman are clones of yes. the same organisation, just with a different motif, which I absolutely love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that, that makes sense on why they made such a big deal of, of showing that photo. Yeah. Because um, they didn't need to do that. Halle Berry could have done that in a different way. She could have, you know, shocked him into, into doing it another way. No, that makes much more sense that if, if, you know, that particular girl looked a lot like Halle Berry and he was kind of projecting, that that makes a lot more sense. It doesn't buy back what I feel is a, I feel like a monster if I say it's a weak uh, premise because he's obviously, Whiskey's obviously gone through something really traumatic, mm. but as an audience, we didn't. No, no. So and... I can't, I can't feel for his, his pain because we don't find out until he's already established as a bad guy at which point all all caring about him is gone. Yeah, and you know? and the fact that he was revealed to be the bad guy, even though Colin Firth 
suspected him of it. He's revealed to be the bad guy after the bad guy has been killed. Mm. They're about to save the world. And then he shows up. He's like, no, no, no. you got to let that go through. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I don't, I don't care anymore. And then even that action scene, and, and that was where, again, they're using some great filming techniques where it's just in on a shot and out and twist around the other side of the room and, you know, very Matthew Vaughan, very Guy Ritchie, that sort of style. You know, those two worked, you know, so well together back in the day that it looked cool to fight, but I kind of didn't care as much by that point because I'm like, well, for me, even though Julianne Moore wasn't posing a physical threat, that for me is probably where it should have ended. You know, they, if they wanted yeah. some big fight, had that big fight, bang, lead straight into Julia Moore, which they did, but they were obviously holding something back so they could have Whiskey show up and have yeah. this epic, you know, mano y mano, Kingsman v. Statesman, the best of the best going I up against each other. I actually kind of wanted Julianne Moore to be a badass and have some that fighting been skills cool or too. something like that. The reveal being that from the neck down, she's actually a robot and she was going to, you know, kick mm. their ass or something like that. And that probably would have suited the film more to go, okay, what do we have in the first film? Let's amplify that even more. You know, she's a robot the whole time and she's she's mecha Julianne yeah, Moore. Yeah, she you suddenly know? turns into... Um, I'm Ju- not glad they didn't do that, but... Mm, but no, she turns into General Grievous from Star Wars. Yeah. And she's suddenly got four arms yeah. with lightsabers and all that sort of stuff. Because, yeah, and there was the other thing with Whiskey is um, he had his whip and that was all amazing. And then there's that moment out in the snow fight where he, he lassoes a guy, mm. electrifies it, and cuts him in half. And I went, okay, that's not electricity. That's got to be like a plasma whip. Yeah. And don't <laughs> did take me to Star Wars because there's there's fans out there who would love to see, like, instead of a lot, you know, when we have our lightsabers and light stars and all that sort of stuff, yeah. they would love to see a light whip. Yeah, so right. a whip made out of lightsaber energy, and, yeah. and you know, which would be amazing. And I kind of, oh, okay, it's like a plasma whip or something like that. That's how it can cut someone in half. But then at the end of the film, when he, when, he, when he lassoes around Colin Firth's neck, he says he'll electrify him. Yeah. So they actually say that it's electricity, but it's like lasso plus electricity doesn't equal decapitation at the waist. <laughs> and I was like, oh. Well, it's just a small nitpick, but I was just like, yeah. <laughs> oh, just electricity. Yeah. You know, it's got to be more spy, you know, advanced tech than that. Well, let's talk about the statesman because what I love, again, about Kingsman being a big piss take on James Bond is that what's the ultimate agent? Well, he's got to be a gentleman. He's got mm. to dress well, you know, and his gadgets come in his, his watch and his glasses and, you know, his briefcase and his cigars, you know, and his lighters and pens and things. Mm. Like all everything gentleman-wise, right? All that right? proper British tradition. Yeah. Perfect. Brilliant. What's a statesman? Well, they're cowboys. The American version of a classic American is a cowboy, you know, yeah. and they got their different rifles and, and they're drinkers, you know, they drink their American yeah. whiskey, you know, all that well, sort of shit. Well, even the name, you know, they're both gentlemen. One serves the king, one serves the states. Yeah. You know, I like, just, I've just found that balance really, really interesting and really cleverly done. Yeah, so much fun. Like, And just the idea that they, you know, both came from two blokes with the same idea, you know, mm. hundreds of years ago or whatever. Yeah, so. I hadn't seen a lot of the trailers, and I actually thought Channing Tatum was going to be a bad guy. He was going to be like the, oh, the bad guy. Peter Whiskey, essentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, he, I thought the Statesmen were a bad organization to rival the, the Kingsmen. I didn't realize yeah. they'd be allies, and I just thought he was going to be, yeah, a, a, a thug. You know, or something like that. I, I was a bit so worried was... towards the end when they were just about to go and go to Poppyland, and uh, Colin Firth says to uh, Merlin, he says, you know, whiskey's bad. You know, I, I, I can tell, and maybe this whole organization's got a, a separate agenda. And I'm like, oh, please mm. don't make the statesman a bad yeah. organization. Because at that stage, really, while they were helping the Kingsmen, the Kingsmen were the only ones doing anything about it. Like, they had help by one agent. It wasn't like the statesman were putting in 
all of their manpower yeah. into it. So I was a bit worried, like, please don't, because that could be a spin-off. You could have the Statesman, you know, and you could have Channing Tatum and whoever. Because I want to see more Channing Tatum in this, because where the fuck was he? Other than maybe filming Logan Lucky. Like, he is in the trailers. Mm. There is a great line in the trailer where he only swears, right? You know, it's Eggsy looking over something, you know, their, their, their big base, and he's like, it's very American. And Channing Tatum just, <laughs> fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Simple line. He swears, Christ, I laughed. That scene is not in the film. Mm. And he's not in the film. And I'm like, what? Maybe again, if it's not Channing Tatum, it doesn't mean anything. But because it is, I really yeah. wanted to see him with that accent, you know, with that sort of character within that organization. I think that would have been a lot mm. of fun. And then come the end of the film, he's wearing Kingsman gear and he's like doing a bit of like student exchange program yeah, shit. Yeah, bowler hat. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to see... A statesman spin-off, so I'm kind of glad that you know they didn't turn out to be bad. You know, I want to see mm. Jeff Bridges talk to Channing Tatum and then pull in, you know, uh, you know, subject B American actor or actress to fill that role, and that's that's a spin-off there. You know, so I definitely want to see more of him. And like you said earlier, it's it's fun to see Halle Berry, you know, get into that field role now. Mm. She's the new Agent Whiskey. It would have been funny, a bit of a, a, a throwback to Bond in a way, and also to really make fun of it, not have fun with it. For, oh, what do you want your code name to be? And someone go, how about Jinx? <laughs> because that was her code name as a CIA agent mm. in, uh, or NSA, whatever she was, in the last Pierce Brosnan movie, the awful one. And she was this really over-the-top American agent. And that was where they first started talking James Bond spin-offs. They were going to give Halle Berry's character, which is yeah, going to be... It was 007 movies, and then there was Jinx. And I thought, please, to Christ, no, mm. don't do this. And thankfully, they didn't. They went back to basics and made you know Casino Royale a couple of years later. Yeah. But the, the name thing did interest me a little bit, given that um, I feel like the Galahad and Lancelot and Merlin and all that stuff, that made sense. Mm. But then... With the statesman, it's like, well, they're all named after alcohol. Yeah. And she was ginger ale. Mm. And I'm like, is that because she's a woman or is that because she's not a field agent? I took that as being field agent. I hope that's what it would be. But So if she became a field agent, her code name would change from being ginger ale to... Alcoholic something, you know. Yeah. yeah. And guess... it's weird too that she also took on the moniker of a bloke who turned out to be bad. Like, wouldn't you want to like shelve... The whiskey name, perhaps. Oh, yeah. Or, you, oh, God, I'm but thinking I, in I world guess, too much. Like, who gives a shit? <laughs> I guess in a way, their code names are actually more fun in that way because it's like, oh, so what? Who's taking care of that? Oh, whiskey and ginger ale. Yeah. <laughs> like that's you know, I which I I guess makes sense if you think about Melissa McCarthy film Spy, where yeah. she was the you know the the tech girl. You know, yeah, she, yeah, was, yeah. she was the headset girl, and she had her spy that she worked with. It would be nice if they worked in teams like that, and the field agent was alcohol and the, the the backup agent was the mixer yeah yeah so yeah. it's like there's, there's there's a cola and there's a soda <laughs> and there's a sprite you know things like that are, are some of their you know don't mind me mate i love a jd and coke as he says <laughs> <laughs> a jack yeah. and coke and then we're great there's just a throwaway joke of two agents walking by who are jack daniels and coke yeah. <laughs> like that that would be great yeah no i i, I like that side of things too. how they really fleshed out exactly what the kingsmen were and what they would be called and what they wear and where they you know live and have their base and the complete opposite of the statesman. Mm. Immediately, I was like, "What would the Australian version be?" I know, you know? right? You're what like, would, oh, what else could they do? Like, what could we be? You know, what? Mm. Uh, what I, I, immediately, I'm like, "Please, could you find another bottle that tells you to go to Australia and then tells you to go to, you know, God knows China? You got people all over the world. Like that could be really fun. Go to Japan. They're just all samurais and shit. You know, yeah. like yeah, just these, Which, these 
cliches, you know, an English gentleman, an American cowboy, a Japanese samurai, yeah. whatever, you know, that could be, that could be really fun. Yeah. And it does. And it then does take me back to what we talked about earlier about, do you have to see the first film? Do you not to go in and see this one? And it's like, well, I think to get the joy of establishing the statesman, you need to see the first one to see the establishment of the Kingsman. Yeah. And to get the joke. And it almost in a way makes fun of cookie cutter films like that, where it's like yeah. they're just taking one property and just slightly changing it to do something else. It's yeah. almost like a little meta meta joke on that as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. To my surprise, my uh, work friend that was there last night that I didn't think would be a Kingsman fan because of the content and she hadn't seen the first film loved this That's movie, great. right? That's so great. I'm like, okay, well, maybe it's not as important. I would still recommend, I know Brendan, who usually does these reviews with us, he asked us a couple of weeks ago, do I need to see the first one? You and I both said, yeah, definitely. Look, mm. it's a lot of fun. Go watch it. Well, we're purists. Yeah, we're so. purists, yeah. And <laughs> yesterday morning, he said, look, I can't make the screening. And look, it doesn't matter. I didn't get to see the first one anyway. Mm. And part of me is like, oh, who cares? But after watching it, I know you said you probably can, but we also said too, it's probably better that you do because... Yeah. There are. I, it's not so it'll, much. It'll that, definitely increase your enjoyment level. Yes. Having having. And like I said, I only saw the first one like six months ago. You know. Yeah. So it's still very, still very fresh for me. But I feel very invested in these characters now. I, yeah, know? I can't wait for number three because mm. just Matthew Vaughn in general, like he, people for for years now, they've they've been tying him to superhero properties. You know, what's he going to do? Obviously, he did X Men First Class, and I think even as recent as the other day to when we're recording this. The ongoing rumor is that he is going to do a Man of Steel 2. And so they asked him about it, and he said, yeah, he has been approached. He, or at least this is what he would do with it and how you know heroic and blah, 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 and what he would do, want to do with Superman. So what I've seen him do with Kick-Ass, what I've seen him do with X-Men, and then now Kingsman, it's not like, oh, well, he only does this shit in Kingsman. Like, he's got, mm. he can do a lot of shit. Right, he's he's not just the one sort of style and flavor. So I would actually really like to see what he could do with a superhero like Superman, especially with the problems that a lot of people, including yourself, have had with the DCEU Superman. Mm. What a Man of Steel Zack Snyder could then look like compared to a Matthew Vaughn Man of Steel two, yes, or possibly I mean, a Star Wars film. In I the mean, future. as long as he sticks to directing, because he he was a producer on Fan Four Stick, so he, he doesn't look, he doesn't have the greatest instincts <laughs> all the time. He also said that he would like to uh, redo that as an apology to fans. I'm like, you know what, just let it go, guys. <laughs> You've had a couple of cracks. I think it just has to be uh, that perfect partnership of writer, director, producer, all being on the same page and understanding what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, and I think a lot of epic directors couldn't have done Kingsman films justice if they're too hardcore Bond fans yeah. or too hardcore action movie fans or something like that. Like like I was saying, the, the tonal shift between action and comedy and spy film was, was just spot on for me. Yeah. So I think, yeah, it's... Not everyone can do that. So and if- I don't immediately go, oh, well, he's done Kingsman. I'd love to see him do Bond just because it's British spies. Maybe in 10, 15 years, I go, oh, I wonder what that guy who used to do the Kingsman movies, I wonder what he'd do with a James Bond movie mm. now. You know, just to see, it's, okay, take the spoof movie element out of it. What are you going to do with an actual James Bond film? You know, and even though, like I said, for me, black or white, again, I prefer the first one to this one. Having only seen both of them once, I prefer the first one to Kingsman 2. I still like the second one very much. It's really It just enjoyable. shows how high really I put enjoyable. the first one because I loved the first one 
and I will continue to tell people to go and watch that. And then I will say, go and watch number two and just see where this craziness goes. So I'm with you. I'm bang up for number three and hopefully we get it in another two years. Yeah. I just want to, instead of that little town car that turned into that weird thing, I want a legit Mini Cooper scene. <laughs> I want a proper Mini Cooper. Because then you can drive a prop to go watch the movie. Yeah. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Well, maybe if we're ever going to get a car, turn into a jet. That's what it's got to be. That is our full spoilers chat of Kingsman, The Golden Circle. It is, of course, out in cinemas now. God, I hope you've seen the movie. You didn't just listen to this anyway because you don't care. Because you should. And if you haven't seen it, go watch it. And if you did see it, let us know what you thought, whether you agree with us. What did we miss? Hit us up on the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Get Into Geek. You can drop us a much bigger line on our email, getintogeek at gmail.com. And you can find all of our podcasts uh, on the SoundCloud and iTunes channels. Just simply search Get Into Geek. Myself, Mitch underscore Lewis on Twitter and Instagram. Maddie? Uh, High Pitch Maddie on Instagram. Now, I always go ah beforehand, and I don't I, know why. I don't know why. I, do. I think I do. Sorry, I'll do well. the, you can find me at High Pitch Maddie on Instagram. Oh, God, that was was good that was very news readerish of you love it love it we'll be back for some more movie talk i mean definitely in a month's time maddie because we've got uh presenting rights uh with getting a geek for thor ragnarok as we were just talking about so that's exciting that's uh, october 26th i want to say thursday october 26th that one comes out so we'll have uh, some reviews up in a couple of weeks hopefully some tickets to give away to a premiere screening as well and maybe even in two weeks, Blade Runner 2049, which I still need to see oh, the first I have to one. As well. Jesus I have to go Christ. And see the first one. It's... it's been out for so long. It's a sci fi classic made by one of the masters of the genre, starring Harrison. Like, how the freaking hell have we not so seen guilty. this? I know. It's just... The sort of person that listens to these sort of chats. Don't like you when you say you haven't seen Blade Runner. So we're going to try and watch that over the next two weeks and uh, we'll start from there and then jump into 2049 in a couple of weeks' time. In the meantime, though, Get Into Geek, we're actually doing a uh, series of films with Event Cinemas Australia. They're in the house cult film classics program uh, for 2017. We're uh, about five weeks in now. The next film on the list is The Lost Boys, uh, the, the classic Ooh, 80s yeah. vampire flick. Fantastic stuff. So that's the next film on their program. Jump online, depending on when you're listening to this, eventcinemas.com.au. Find a cinema near you that is showing the program, but some other great films coming up. They've got a Halloween double in a few weeks uh, for Poltergeist and Army of Darkness. Wayne's World's there. We've got The Warriors. Die Hard 2 is going to wrap up the program in December. We're also going to jump back into some TV talk very, very soon, uh, namely with our DC chats, which is pretty much our bread and butter for TV talk. Maddie, I know you're very excited because you love the DC universe uh with arrow and the flash oh and the like. some of the best tv <laughs> we I couldn't, still I couldn't even... have not got you in to do a full wrap-up of all four series of the last season is that your notebook i have you've my got... my hate pages here holy just christ just that's bigger than the bible out. like it's it's there just waiting it's just waiting for the hate to flow <laughs> so that'll be coming back and then ben terry and i will jump back in and start talking the season premieres of these shows in a few weeks all on get into geek wherever you may find us we'll see you back soon for more movies and TV talk. Get into geek.com.